Broadcast out of New York City, you're listening to Prescriptions for Health on the Progressive Radio Network on Monday, December 15th, 2014. I'm Dr. Len Saputo. And I'm registered nurse Vicki Saputo. Happy anniversary. Oh, all right. That's right. It's been, geez, 36, 36 years. years. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> and it's getting better, Vicki. Aww. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on our anniversary and on Prescriptions for Health on the Progressive Radio Network. Indeed. What a special day. On the first and third Monday of every month from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time and from 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific Time. And remember that our shows are available 24-7 on prn.fm and drsaputo.com. Today, you'll hear Nurse Vicky's 2020 Health Tips at 20 after and 20 to the hour. And we've got another great show for you today that's going to include why is mainstream medicine claiming to include CAM when it really doesn't respect it? And why is it so important to spice up your meals? And why is ADD becoming a pandemic? And ADHD. And how can the holidays increase your risk for heart attack? And what common medicine a mother takes during her pregnancy can make her child fat? Bonjour, monsieur. Ah, what a great trip that was, huh? Yeah, we just got back from France. In case you missed us, we might have had a little repeat while we were gone for a couple weeks. Well, one repeat was all we had, and we had a great time. Had a chance to talk to 540 doctors at a cancer convention in... Aix-en-Provence. Yeah, what a great thing that was. It was an experience for me because I got a chance to learn how to speak English when there's an interpreter there making the English convert to French. And it was quite an experience because I'm not used to having the pauses that go with it, but it went pretty well, I think. You did a great job. I mean, you were swarmed by people afterwards, and and they were telling you that you were the best speaker. So that was, And it was really a challenge. And then afterwards, um, you were interviewed on a couple of radio shows with your, along with your interpreter. Right. I don't know what you would have done without an interpreter. You probably just wouldn't have done any of it. I'd have kept saying bonjour. <laughs> That's about all I know. <laughs> what was really fun is to see the receptivity of the people in Europe, because it was really a European cancer convention, supporting the kinds of things that we're talking about. We talk about the role of spirit and healing. You know, we're always talking about how important that is. And in this country, we're more focused on what we are calling science, even though there's a, a lot of arguing you can do about that uh, as we practice medicine. Well, the people loved it because, like I said, they were just swarming you afterwards. Even, you know, the interpreter was interpreting for them, and some <laughs> of them just came up just because they just wanted to Say hello, smile yeah. and let you know that they appreciated what you said. Right. So it looks like next year we'll be going to Portugal to do the same thing again. So we got an invitation to go to Europe another time. Yeah. So complementary alternative medicine is also referred to as CAM. And then also holistic medicine have become popular terms, but they often have negative connotations and they're not respected in mainstream medicine. But what is complementary alternative medicine really? Okay, what we're talking about is is anything that's new uh, that has not got into the mainstream is something you can say is an addition to. It's really looking to what's happening in research, What's on the cutting edge? And very often it's using a technology that's a bit different. But people don't usually refer to new new research research as as complementary and alternative. That's right. Well, some of the approaches that we take in complementary and alternative medicine are a bit different. So maybe we're talking about using 
energy medicine, you know, light and magnetic fields, or maybe using nutrition, uh, or uh, some of the disciplines that are different than what are in the mainstream, like Chinese medicine or Ayurveda. That's what I think people mean by that. And often what we're referring to when we talk about complementary and alternative medicine is different from what we, when we use the term holistic medicine. Complementary and alternative means what I just explained, but holistic has a different meaning. It means that we look at the whole person, body, mind, emotion, and spirit, and the inseparable nature, nature of all those perspectives. So it's a different thing. And then the third term that often gets in the mix is integrative medicine. And that really just means that we're looking at the different disciplines that make up the various strategies that can be used in healthcare. And what do you mean when you say health medicine? Ah, that's really good because over the last 20 years, we've invented that. We've coined that term along with some of my colleagues and defined it to mean integrative, holistic, person-centered, and preventive medicine, which is a whole healthcare system that we've now brought into clinical practice in my practice at the Health Medicine Center in Walnut Creek. And we've been doing it for more than 10 years now. And it's so much more satisfying, Vicki, to practice using that model than the rigid model that I learned in my training that calls itself scientific and excludes a lot of other things that are really important, such as the role of spirit in, in healing. I mean, why you would call something scientific when you just close your eyes to a particular aspect of it that you don't understand which is, of course, what the role of spirit is all about. So we need to become more scientific by not throwing things out, but by looking at every aspect of what's involved in healthcare and look at body, mind, emotion, and spirit as perspectives of how human beings are. Why leave something out? That's the most unscientific thing you can do. The public seems to be demanding, Cam, and holistic medicine. Indeed. And but are the hospitals and clinics often claiming to incorporate it into mainstream medicine because they really support it or because it'll draw more patients to the hospitals and the clinics? Well, hospitals and clinics and the practice of medicine have become a business. So it's about drawing people uh, into uh their facilities so that they can have them as patients and so they give the illusion that they're really integrative and holistic and patient-centered and preventive. But, of course, they aren't. It's, it's mostly smoke screens. What about the Thrive program? Well, it sounds good to me on the surface, but in actuality, when I talk to patients who come to me, because I get a lot of Kaiser patients coming to my practice, because they don't get what they think they need to have that includes that open-minded approach that's in health medicine. I remember when you had your first hip surgery, mm. and there was somebody that was... Oh, it was a doctor that had something to do with their supposed integrative program at that particular hospital. Yeah, it was a, it was a well-known program uh, where I had my surgery done. I'm not going to mention the facility or the program. Uh, and it was really something that was done out of, I mean, it was located in the hospital, the office was. But the ability to take those integrative approaches and holistic approaches into the hospital wasn't allowed. Because then you had a complication after your surgery, and you wanted that, and you couldn't get it. Well, I got it, of course, from my friends. Yeah, they came in, but so I'm saying just... you couldn't get it at the hospital. No, I tried to, because what I really needed, because I'd had a, a, a reaction from the anesthetic, 
that caused me to have a big drop in blood pressure. And we didn't really, that was serious, it dropped to about 60. So Sympathetic it was, blockade. Yeah, that's what it was. And, and there wasn't anything really that, that could be done much that was going to do me much good. And I knew that acupuncture would be something that would probably have a powerful effect, but I couldn't get it. So I wound up getting what I needed from my own clinic in Walnut Creek. I invited my practitioners to come and help me, and we just closed the door and did what we needed to do. So, yeah, there's a lot of smoke out there, a lot of smoke screens out there uh, in the mainstream that are trying to capture this market. And so they give the illusion that they're really open-minded, and you hear a lot of the times they say, we care, we listen, uh, we're interested in, in giving you everything you need to make your hospital stay They say all the things better. that you say, only you do it. Well, there, yeah, <laughs> you got to walk your talk. And what's interesting is a lot of the hospitals now are asking me to give a talk. I will be giving a talk at, a, I won't mention the hospital name again, in our area to a hospital chain uh, to talk about the role of spirit and healing. And really? talk, yes, and uh, it's interesting that they want to give this illusion as well. In fact, the people that are involved in would like to bring it forward, but the hospitals don't really want to do that unless there's no other way because it's going to change the program, and it would also change the impact it would have on their services. They want to have people in the hospital. That's what the hospital business is about, and if they don't have enough patients, they've got a problem. So if we go out... Well, there's and we, always going to be people that are sick. Well, what would happen if the paradigm changed, the medical paradigm changed, and we started doing lifestyle medicine and started practicing wellness and prevention and all the uh, safe therapies that are that we know of that we purport? And wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to bring all these kind of therapies into a hospital? But what would happen then if people got well faster... Okay, and there was less need for the hospital. And eventually, if there were a lot of well people in the community, what would happen to the hospital business? That's about the last thing they really want. But they have to give this illusion to uh, the public that they're open-minded and will provide more than what the other hospitals will because there's a competition for patients. That's what that's about. Well, there's a news release that shows that the military is open to doing research on CAM as a substitute for prescription drugs and treating PTSD. That's really true. And, and the interesting thing about the VA hospitals, which is what this is all about, is that they don't need FDA approval for anything they do. They are independent of the FDA. Wow. Why are they so lucky? Well, it's the government. <laughs> See, the government can do what it wants in its own places, and it doesn't in its own place. And it doesn't have to follow what the FDA rules are. But do we really need more money spent on research to show that meditation and acupuncture and body-mind therapy and chiropractic and nutrition and all of that can be good for our health? Well, in my opinion, those things work, and we should be using them. And so my answer would be is no, we don't. But at the same time, because of the way doctors have been uh, raised, basically, to think through their training, it will be necessary to have what they call that scientific medicine so that we're doing uh, studies that are documenting that the approaches that we want to bring forward are actually science-based. And, of course, that's an illusion, too, because most of the studies that are published in our mainstream journals don't have good scientific uh, approaches to it. When the Office of Technology Assessment looked at this, 
several years ago, a couple of decades ago, they said that the amount of good science in medical practice was something like 15%. And it was far worse in the medical literature. It was closer to 1%. Nobody wants to hear it or listen to it or accept it. Well, I didn't either. I thought, how could this be? I thought we were, you know, science-based in what we did. And in actuality, when you think about it, who's doing the research? It's people who have conflicts of interest. It's the pharmaceutical industry or the technology industry uh, or people who have something to gain from a, from a study coming out a certain way. That's not good science. So 99% of the stuff is thrown out, and that's why Marsha Angel's work, you know, the person that was the chief editor of the New England Journal of Medicine probably about a decade ago, who's a Harvard-trained MD, quit her job as the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine and said, I can't stand this anymore because the stuff that's getting published is not good science. So she left and she wrote some books on it. And now, of course, uh, people are mostly in the public paying a lot of attention to it. And doctors are kind of amazed that this is something that, that got out. And now there's a shift going on in medicine so that people are starting to question what we do Medicine doesn't have the same impact that it had several decades ago when we had all this confidence that medicine was the only way to go and the right thing to do. Well, I think there's a lot of frustration now centered around PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's what this study was about in the, in the military. And, you know, it's not new that meditation can be helpful for anxiety or depression no. or suicidal thoughts. Right. Um, so was this study because they realized that the drugs aren't really the answer and that the pa- that they're not really working for these patients? Well, I mean, let yes. I mean, that's, that's true. And so we needed something more than that. And what's happened is when you think about PTSD in the military, these poor young men who are on the battlefront. They must all have it. How could they not? I mean, you're there and you're seeing people killed all the time and you're killing people yourself. You may have you're, the person standing next to you have a bullet, ruined, a bullet go to the head and blow off somebody's brains or, or see somebody dying from an amputation because they're, they're bleeding to death from a, a bullet wound. You don't just forget things like that. Plus, your own survival instincts take over. And so you have a an impact that never ever gets away from you. It's not they like you have flashbacks and 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 those you know are not uncommon. And then what the VA does because it doesn't really have the funding to take care of these people properly is it it says that maybe twenty percent of the military people on the front line or in the military wind up with significant PTSD. And to me, that's just the worst thing that they can do. It's to deny the other 80% who have to have some extent of, of that kind of damage and, and, and turn these young boys back into civilians who a lot of them wind up on the streets homeless because they can't function right. Like we have a lot of Vietnam uh, War vets oh, yeah. that are homeless. Exactly. A lot of people think that they have schizophrenia or whatever, but maybe they don't. Maybe they have PTSD. Well, they do. I mean, how can you... Just, and they're not being taken care of. Well, that's right. And so these new approaches, new Denial. approaches, these that's other right. approaches that we're looking at that are in complementary alternative medicine are things like acupuncture. You know, Joe Helms, the doctor in, in Berkeley, California, 
that I know reasonably well. I have a I lot of respect too. for. <laughs> he gave I me know. a lot of acupuncture he, years ago. Right, he did a great thing for you. You were having some headaches because of a. Uh, at the time, you had a, uh, a, myelogram. a myelogram that led to terrible Spinal headaches. Headache. And after a few weeks, he, he was like a magician. And it was I just stood there with my mouth open. This was probably in the late 80s. And uh, watching his acupuncture work when everything else I tried, and I thought that at that time when I was into mainstream medicine, that that was the only way to go. And, of course, it wasn't. And now... Dr. Helms is doing research with acupuncture on people who have PTSD for the VA, and his research is showing that it's really good stuff because I remember talking to him about it probably about nine months ago. Well, that's a good thing to bring up because I think a lot of people don't realize that acupuncture can help with emotional things. Oh, acupuncture does so many things, and in the Western model, it's one of those things, again, we throw out because we don't understand it. And then we have a bad attitude about saying, well, that's not scientific. Well, what the hell? You mean it's not scientific? If it works, I'm sorry. It is scientific. It has to be. It's just that we don't understand it. It's sort of like saying that there's no such thing as the role of spirit in healing. Come on. We go to doctors, go to church on Sunday, and then they come to work on Monday, and they say, oh, no, it's only good for me in my personal life. But it's not good for my patients because we're, quote, science-based. And, of course, if something, were, if something exists the way that it is, it's, it's right. And how you analyze it doesn't change that it's right or wrong. It's still right. So science and spirituality are always 100% congruent. They can't be any other way. But just because we're in a primitive state in our science of trying to understand how the role of spirit works in medicine doesn't mean we close our eyes to it and throw it out. The same thing with Chinese medicine and acupuncture and herbs. You're going to throw it out because you don't understand it? That's well, like a little kid playing marbles and saying, I'm going to take my marbles and go home because I don't understand this. Well, it's safer than the drugs. So Way safer than the drugs. Now, who makes, dies from acupuncture? So it makes more sense to use cam first and then turn to drugs if it doesn't work instead of the other way around. Well, that's that's... That is a good point. And what I would do is refine it a little further and say use lifestyle medicine first, whether it be in the mainstream or it be Chinese medicine or Ayurveda or Native American medicine or whatever other discipline. (laughs) Well, that's nutrition. I think that's – and that's another good thing. There's a hierarchy of how medicine should be practiced. It's always lifestyle first if you can. Then it's non-invasive strategies like chiropractic and acupuncture. Then you start looking at supplements and herbs. Then you start looking at drugs and surgeries and technologies. That's the order it should follow because it's common sense and it's safe. So these are the kinds of things that we have to pay attention to. We're looking at what is complementary and alternative medicine all about. I mean, it's a good thing to have new ways to look at things rather than say, oh, I don't understand it, so I can't even, I can't even entertain using it. That's so, like a little baby. Yeah, and it's like, look at the words and what do they mean? Complementary, that means it, work, Add it to. can work together with, yes. with yes. mainstream or with whatever it is. With everything, yes. And it makes no sense uh, to be like a little kid and say, well, I don't understand it, I'm going home. And that's exactly what's happened in medicine. There are a lot of things in life that we don't understand, but... You know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work or that it isn't so. We absolutely know that it does work, but we don't know why. So let's get grown up about it. So if we don't know why, it doesn't make it wrong. Right. 
All right, you're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Lynn Saputa here with Nurse Vicky, and it's time for Nurse Vicky's first 2020 tip on the amazing benefits of bananas. And when we come back, we're talking about why is it so important to spice up your meals. Bananas are not just delicious, but they're also healthy, not just for monkeys, but for us too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, and get out your pen and paper too, because at the end of this little tip, I have a little recipe for All you. All right, that sounds really good. good. But anyway, bananas are good for giving us a lot of energy, and they help replenish the sugar in our muscles for energy during exercise. They're they're high in potassium, and they help deliver this to the circulatory system, and so they're it's good for our heart rhythm and our water balance. Okay. Also, bananas are good for PMS. They contain vitamin B6, and they regulate the blood glucose levels, and they help us in times of stress. They help us to suppress our cranky moods. <laughs> also, bananas are good for bowel health. They're high in fiber, and they stop constipation and maintain bowel function. They increase happiness because they release tryptophan, which is converted to serotonin in the brain, and it elevates the mood our mood, and it makes us happier. It helps smokers quit. Bananas are high in the B vitamins and other minerals that lessen the effects of nicotine withdrawal. They're also high in uh, and rich in iron. They stimulate the production of hemoglobin in our blood. And they're good for our um, brain power because, um, well, a lot of it's because of the potassium, but it also makes... Um, makes learning better because it makes the people more alert and students find that they have more brain power to do better on their exams when they eat bananas at breakfast and at lunch. Now this recipe that I have here, <clears throat> this kind of helps to keep you on track if you have a sweet tooth and you want and, and you want a nice treat because sugar's not an added ingredient. Three mashed bananas that are ripe, one third of a cup of applesauce, two cups of oats, a quarter cup of almond milk, a half a cup of raisins, a teaspoon of vanilla, and a teaspoon of cinnamon. You bake it at 350 for 15 to 20 minutes. Doesn't that sound I good? I want some of that. Yeah. And also another thing you could um, – I, I read a recipe once that was good. I think it had – I forget. It had a banana and two eggs, I think. Hmm. And you mix that up and make uh, pancakes out of it. And oh, that wow. was really good. I tried it. Oh, wow. And then um, you could also just add it to your pancakes. You know what's interesting? Waffles. I was thinking as you were talking about all the things that bananas do. Mother Nature puts that all together in one package. Think of what the pharmaceutical industry would have to do to make a banana. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have about 50 drugs in there that would have... 500 different kinds of side effects and wouldn't be anywhere near the efficiency or effectiveness of and we're talking, one banana. And we're talking the whole banana. Wait till you hear exactly. my next tip. You're going to be surprised <laughs> with my next tip. Okay. Anyhow, it's it's common for us to associate a lot of foods that taste good as not being healthy for us and foods that are healthy as not tasting good. Yeah, but a lot of the time I think that's because of the way they're prepared. I mean, try to eat something that's that's not prepared properly. Like if you had tried to have grains or beans or you had a potato that wasn't cooked. I mean, you can eat them, but not really the right thing to do. But usually when we prepare foods that are vegetables and fruits and seeds and nuts and things of that sort, they're really good if they're prepared right. Yeah. Well, a recent Penn State study published in Nutrition Today uh, shows that high antioxidant spices not only make our food taste more flavorful, but they enhance the health of our hearts. Yeah, well, isn't that interesting at how we do that? I have a real resistance 
to research that's done along these lines because what they're trying to do is the same thing you talked about when you talked about the banana having all those different aspects, different things that it did. There's antioxidants in bananas. There's antidepressants in bananas. There are things that make your blood chemistry right. Uh, it does a lot of things to provide you with energy. And here we are now trying to analyze by looking at some experiment that looks at one particular aspect of what some different kinds of spices might do for us or different kinds of herbs might do for us. So they're talking about, well, if you have a combination of these particular things that they studied, which included garlic powder, not the real garlic, yeah. rosemary, oregano, cinnamon, cloves, paprika, turmeric, ginger, uh, ginger, and black pepper. I mean, I mean, we can cook with things like that. And that's the way to get these things in us, not necessarily making some package that's sold by some supplement company or some pharmaceutical company that says, it, it, in, increase your antioxidant levels so that when you have a meal that's high in fat, it'll lower your triglycerides Ex by 30%. Okay, but except for sometimes certain um, spices, for example, mm -hmm. you would have to have a, a lot of it. Yeah, a truckload of it. Yeah. So a supplement would be an easier way. Just like okay. with the resveratrol, you'd become an alcoholic drinking enough wine to get red wine. Yeah, okay. To well, get enough resveratrol. Well, that's really true, and we need to pay attention to that. And, and that brings me to when do I use these kinds of, of uh, nutritional products in my practice. I don't take them myself unless there's a special reason. And the reason would be if I'm sick or there's some kind of problem that I'm having, my blood's too thick, or if I've had a heart attack or Turmeric is really good for pain. Sure. anti-inflammatory. I mean, yes. But if you don't have pain, would you want to take all these things together? A lot of people do. They say, this particular supplement does that, and this one does that, and that one does that. And my answer is, is eat real food. I think do what, anything do what that was Ed cooked with all these things sounds delicious. It's making me hungry. Well, do you want to buy the product and have it that way and add it to your meal? Or do you want to add this herbs and spices? You know, Ed Bowman, who is a... I know. Herbs and spices, nuts and seeds, and have a nice day. Fruits and vegetables, oh, seeds yeah, and nuts, herbs part. and spices. Okay, <laughs> but th that's lifestyle nutritionally that will take you along the right path so you don't have to be thinking about things like this. Not that this isn't interesting information, but what bugs me is how we don't give enough credit to Mother Nature. And we think somehow that if we alter the things that Mother Nature produces, that we can do something better than Mother Nature does. Now, I, I, have, a, I have a bone to pick with people who think like that. And yet at the same time, when someone's sick, say they've have, they have cancer, would I give them big doses of curcumin? You bet I would. Would I add things like melatonin? Yeah. Would I think about artemisinin and methyl jasmine and other things that are natural products? Yes, I would. But if you don't, would I think about using that? No, I wouldn't. What's the most important? A lifestyle that's healthy. Diet, exercise, stress, sleep, weigh what you should, uh, avoid environmental toxins, and have p purpose in your life that brings you joy. Those are the basic ingredients that we should be trying to market and convince people are the right thing to do. And that's what our doctors should be doing. And that's why the naturopaths of the world, while they don't have the same comprehension and skill to treat people who are in the hospital because they don't have that training, 
They are the ones who should be taking care of healthy people. And after doctors get people back into a place where they've got good health, should be maintaining care for these people, not doctors who are oriented to be using drugs and surgeries and technologies. Well, it's about time that the metabolic effects of the herbs and spices are recognized by mainstream medicine yes. as an effective and safe choice compared to drugs exactly. for, say, for example, for cardiovascular disease. Exactly. But there also can be good for diabetes and other chronic diseases. Sure. And sure. also, like you said, the prevention of disease in the first place. Yeah. Now, you were talking about, you know, people that need drugs and so forth. But why not try and why not try things like garlic, for example? It's associated with high for high blood pressure, you know, to lower blood pressure. Yep. It's a good anticoagulant. It's an antimicrobial. It's an anti-inflammatory. It helps lower heavy metal levels. That's right. It chelates metals when you're toxic that way. It does a lot of good things. And that's that's why we should be focusing on what Mother Nature does. Eat that diet that's healthy and do what Ed Bowman said, fruits and vegetables, seeds and nuts, herbs and spices, and have a nice day. Well, you know, we need to be creative with our children, too, because I think a lot of times the taste buds are trained for sugar. I've noticed that if I go off of sugar, I don't crave it as much as when I eat it. That's exactly right. And if you, you can add healthy ingredients to different foods, like to muffins and meatloaf if you eat meat. Uh, sauces and smoothies, sure. ways that your kids might not even know that they were in there. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you wanted, like... You can sneak vegetables into meatloaf, for example, right? You can make us... You can gr- you can pulverize things like in your Vitamixer, right? That's it. Well, you know, maybe things that taste bad aren't always so good for us either. We don't know. Every, everybody has their own biochemistry, and maybe not all spices are good for everybody. You know, That's we right. just... There are a lot of things we don't really know. It's moderation, and it's balance, and it's lifestyle. And that's where it is. All right, it's time for a network station break. You're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Len Saputo here with Nurse Vicki, and we'll be right back with more Prescriptions for Health radio. And we'll be talking about why is ADHD becoming a pandemic? Holy smoke, it never ends. Welcome back to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Lynn Sabuta here with Nurse Vicki. It appears there's a pandemic of ADHD. Although you can't catch it, this behavioral condition seems to be spreading like wildfire all over the globe. Why, you may ask? What's going on? Well, we're going to be reporting on the marketing of ADHD by drug company lobbyists who have influenced many countries to relax marketing restrictions on stimulant drugs like Ritalin and Concerta, often prescribed for ADHD. So what we have here is an agreement on the part of a lot of practitioners to work with the pharmaceutical industry to promote an illness that really doesn't exist to anywhere near the extent as to what they are and with respect to how common it actually is. So it's way overdiagnosed in all these countries. 
Yeah, and it's because, on the rise. Yes, because this medical testing is no longer being required to diagnose the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and it's usually diagnosed by just proclamation. Well, that's, so, about, that's not quite that way, but you're right. Well, you're right. A, usually by the teacher and the parents. Well, that's true. And ADD and ADHD are big business for big pharma. Right. So as soon as the teacher or the parents say, I've got a kid that's a problem here, they go to the doctor, and the next thing you know is they're taking the drug. Why? Because doctors and psychiatrists are turning out to be psychopharmacologists, meaning they're using drugs rather than trying to be diagnostic in an accurate way by doing the right tests, which they don't do. A kid can fidget or have difficulty concentrating or they can be disorganized Mm -hmm. or not completing projects and Mm -hmm. things. Does that always mean that they have ADD or ADHD? I would say rarely, actually. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people could have those symptoms. Well, how many families are, are, are not dysfunctional these days? I mean, it's the rule rather than the exception. There are very few people who have a perfect situation at home or at school. Yeah, exactly. And so kids act out, which is fair enough. And what about the smart kids who don't listen because they're bored and maybe act out or I mean, to try and stimulate their minds? Have they got ADD too or ADHD? Hardly. So, so what are some of the medical tests that can confirm a diagnosis and what that, that are being ignored because they want to just sell the drugs in it and this is why they're relaxing what their requirements used to be? Right. Well, before I would use a drug like Ritalin or Concerta or some of the others that are used, that really are uh, derivatives of dexedrine, okay? It, it's like Stimulus. yeah, like cocaine or like uh, uh, some of the other drugs that are used on, in, on the streets. Uh, I would subject my kids, if I, if I had a child who had that, to something like a, a, an MRI that's a functional MRI or a special kind of uh, test that can be done to look at, at how brain function works that is more physiological. Maybe a spec scan. Absolutely. A spec scan is a great way to go. And I would look at the biochemistry of like what goes wrong. essential fatty acid? Yeah. I mean, why this remains such a mystery uh, in the mainstream when there's such a simple test to diagnose it. The defect in an awful lot of children, not all of them, but in an awful lot of children that have ADD or ADHD is an essential fatty acid defect. And what in I'm, other words, they can't metabolize the fatty acids. Exactly. It, so if you're taking in what's in flaxseed oil or in some of the other foods like seeds and nuts that have a lot of essential fatty acids in them, those fatty acids have to be manipulated by the body, have to be processed by the body so they can be converted into the active ingredients that the, that the body needs to be able to prevent things like ADD and ADHD. So you, if you do a simple essential fatty acid profile or give the, the person a test with a product like Eflex, okay, E-F-A-L-E-X, which we don't have any stock or con- connections with, if you did that for three months, you might find out that these symptoms that the kids have of things like the, the hyperactivity and lack of attention and the night blindness, and the dyslexia, and the dyspraxia, and the and the problems with uh, water loss across the skin because the waterproofing of the skin isn't Dry right. Skin. Yeah. But see, these are physical symptoms that are often ignored. Nobody even looks for them. 
They just look for the ADD part. You know, they don't concentrate and they're fidgety. Uh, well, that doesn't make a diagnosis of ADD. I'm sorry. So I think we should mention this again because I think it's really important for people to realize that there are other symptoms besides just not paying attention or concentrating very well. Oh, for sure. Because it's this dry skin, the concentrated urine, uh-huh. the dyspraxia. Okay. Tell what that is. Okay. They can't catch a ball very well. Their coordination is not so good. Dyslexia. Where they're mixing up their uh, letters or numbers. And night blindness. Right. And so if you have those, I mean, you should. we should be checking for those things. And what does it cost to do an essential fatty acid profile? Maybe $150. And if you find there's a defect there, you've got a ready-made treatment uh, to solve this problem. You know, David Horobin, who probably published close to 2,000 papers, uh, he's now passed on uh, and knew a lot about attention deficit and ADHD. With the essential fatty acids. Yes. And in fact, that's where I learned from him. I have an, a v, an audio tape that I took in 1998 when I listened to one of his lectures, and it is still accurate today. And you try to explain this to the pediatricians who are into uh, treating ADD and ADHD, and they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to look at the essential fatty acid uh, problem, and, and and it's it's a crime because it's such a straightforward thing. Why? Because thing. they're just so brainwashed about the drug. Exactly. But they could give the like the Eflux. Well, yeah, but that's not a drug. See, that's in a that's a, a nutritional but supplement. It's a pill. <laughs> well, okay, there, yeah, that's right. We're getting desperate now, aren't we? <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the problem. Now, the people who did this study that was published in Social Science and Medicine in November of 2014, said there were five reasons why there's has been this huge growth of uh, ADD diagnosis. They said, first of all, and you mentioned this, Vicki, is that there are effective lobbyists, okay, from the pharmaceutical industry that have allowed the F- or caused the FDA to relax their marketing restrictions on stimulants. And then the, one of the worst things that's happened in medicine that I can think of is our psychiatrists and psychologists are are forgetting about psychoanalysis for the most part, at least the psychiatrists are, and they're becoming psychopharmacologists. So they're looking for silver bullet drugs of some kind to try and get rid of these symptoms. So they're really into into trying to push these things forward. Well, we're medicalizing behaviors. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. The third thing is that a lot of the psychologists and psychiatrists are adopting a lower threshold for diagnosing ADHD and ADD. And so they have these, like you were saying, they have these uh, websites that are promoting drugs uh, for the use of ADD with a checklist, which is really nonspecific. And so they're loosening that up. And then fourth, there are a lot of vocal ADHD advocacy groups that are working with drug companies to promote pharmaceutical treatment. So, And then lastly... The available of ADHD information on the Internet is really growing exponentially. And if you read the wrong stuff, you come to the wrong answer. You wind up thinking about drugs rather than thinking about how can you first diagnose this accurately so you've got a good so diagnosis. So this is why the the diagnosis of it has surged and why the exactly. percentages are so high. Exactly. It's not because people really have it. That's right. It's just because they've relaxed what the requirements are for diagnosing it. So we're talking about a medicalization, as you said, of something that's not a disease at all in terms of ADD. It's about marketing. It's about big pharma's influence on medical practice, which is nothing new. 
Reminds so, me, it reminds me of some other things, like, oh, like you, the flu when oh, they were no, don't get me started. getting under the statistics for that. But well, anyway, we're, well, here's an example. In the UK, the diagnosis of the disorder grew from less than 1% in the 1990s to 5% today. And in Germany, the prescription of ADHD drugs grew from 10 million daily doses in 98 to 53 million in 2008. There's something going on here that needs to stop. All right, you're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Lynn Saputa here with Nurse Vicky, and it's time for Nurse Vicky's final 2020 tip on a healthy addition to your smoothie that will probably not just surprise you, shock you. And when we come back, we'll be talking about how can the holidays increase your risk for a heart attack and what common medicine that a mother takes during her pregnancy can make her child fat. Bananas aren't the only thing that are healthy. The peels are healthy. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> I thought that was just a slip on and break your neck or something. No, well, they're healthy, and um, it's pretty surprising. A lot of the reasons are similar to what's on the inside of the banana, but also remember if you're going to try this with a banana peel, make sure that they're organic bananas. So you, you know? mean you're going to eat these, these You're going to eat these peels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound that good, but okay. okay well, just that was I'm, like first, the avocado seed last time. Yeah. Well, first I'm going to give you the reasons, and then I'm going to tell you how to how to do it. Okay, that's okay. Good. So first of all, they're also good for depression, like the bananas, because they've got the serotonin in them. Okay. They're also full of the tryptophan, so it helps you sleep well. They lower your cholesterol. They're good for your cardiovascular health. Okay. They uh, help you lose weight because they're high in fiber and they fill you up. Okay. Um, they can create probiotics, and they're detoxifying. Uh-huh. So they can get rid of constipation, and they help to detoxify the, bo- the body, body to create a better immune system. Okay. They're anti-cancer. They contain powerful anti-carcinogenic compounds that to help to reduce and prevent cancer. So you're talking about the skin now. I'm talking about the skin. Okay. The banana peel. Okay. They they contain cytoprotective agents and anti-mutagenic agents that reduce your chances of coming down with cancer. That's just a, a little bit like eating the orange skin or the lemon peel. They also have a lot of carotenoids and polyphenols like green tea. Okay. Um, they also uh, protect the red blood cells from breaking down. The green banana peels even are more effective in protecting the body from uh, free radicals. Wow. They have a lot of antioxidants and nutrients. They're high in potassium. They're good for immune system. They contain B vitamins, magnesium, potassium. They're good for your eye health. And they they can also work like an antibiotic because they're good for night vision, preventing macular degeneration, and they even help prevent cataracts. There goes Mother Nature again, making all these good things in one package. That's right. And they're full of great antifungal ca- compounds. Mm-hmm. Um. They're good for your skin. They're anti-inflammatory. Um, they're even helpful for warts, psoriasis, itching, insect bites, rashes, poison oak, ivy, poison ivy, and wrinkles to help your skin look good. But what you do with it in that case is you don't eat it. This time you put it on it. So if you have a plantar wart, if you put it on there with the yellow side down thirty day, for 30 days every night, it'll make it turn black and fall off. Wow. Because the skin contains salicylic acid, and that facilitates wart removal. Also, the banana peels have been used for bone spurs. You can put the banana peel on for just before you go to bed, and you can wrap it in place every night. In a couple of weeks, the pain goes away. That's amazing. Now, some of the ways to eat the banana peels, you can fry them. 
Fry um, the peels? Yeah, you can fry them. It's a Jeez. delicacy. It's eaten in eastern India. Really? <laughs> and also, um, you can make tea. You can boil the banana peels in the water and let the water cool, and, it, and then it's full of nutrients, and you can use it in gravy and soups and sauces and rice and other dishes. You can make a smoothie with uh, milk and vanilla and ice cubes and the banana, the whole banana. Wow, that sounds good. And then when you make um, banana nut bread, you know you use those black bananas? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can put the peel and all and add them to the batter. Wow. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Yeah, that one does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's supposed to taste good, and it's really packed with nutrients. Well, so. there goes Mother Nature again, making a whole bunch of things that's going to put the pharmaceutical companies out of business. Yeah, that's You'd a whole... you need 50 pills again. Now, there to... you go with a whole food. There you go. Even put it on your skin. All right. Okay. You know, um, you were talking about the holidays and... And uh, our, right. fast, our fast-paced society, people are often, they overwork, they cut back on sleep, and they cut back on their exercise and their rest and, and relaxation. That's right. And um, not only that, you know, we were talking about the, the holidays. People also during the holidays are frequently stressed or oh, depressed. Oh, they're with their and, families. They're dysfunctional families. Yeah, so you add that, <laughs> right. to, you add that to the package. <laughs> That's right. That's a recipe for a heart attack. But any, anyway, all of this isn't healthy because we need to renew ourselves and prevent the factors that cause vital exhaustion. So a Mount Sinai study shows that this exhaustion may, risk, may raise the risk of cardiovascular disease. Well, that's right. So uh, fatigue and irritability and demoralization can not only affect our heart, but our relationships, our blood sugar, and even lead to a host of other psychological and physiological problems. Right. Now, these people studied uh, a group of people, like 60,000 people, because they collected about 11 studies and followed them for almost seven years. And what they found is in these people who did not have heart disease at the start, if they were feeling fatigued, lots of irritability, and demoralized, the first time cardiovascular disease rate went up by 36%. That is stunning. And we have to point out again that the number of people who have heart attacks that are related to cholesterol is what? 50%. The other 50% not. Now, there are two diseases that we know of that are associated with this that have a different name. One is called Karoshi, and that's in Japan, where young executives, men mostly, uh, under the age of 40 for the most part, are dying of heart attacks if their work is so intense that they're engaged in it for like 80 hours a week. So when we have so these... So they don't have any of the R&R or sleep or exercise or any no, kind of relationship. No, they're more work-oriented than we are. And then you look at the, the broken heart syndrome. You know, we've talked about this before. Uh-huh. A spouse dies and the impact is so great on the other spouse that they die too. And it's from heart attacks. And it's not like they have a problem with their blood vessels. They don't have arteriosclerosis. What they have is a heart that goes into shock. I have one patient like that now who actually goes into shock. Uh, and it's from stresses in her life. And when, she, when we work on that, I think she does better. What are her symptoms? You say she goes into it's shock. It's chest pain and, oh. and mild congestive heart failure. And wow. so there are, the cardiologist has a regimen that they use to try and prevent the complications of being in that state. So it's, it's, a, it's a big thing that's fairly common. 
Well, we know that anxiety and depression and social isolation can lead to the development of cardiovascular disease. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of studies on that. And there are other diseases that can that vital exhaustion can lead to, like <clears throat> like ulcers and headaches and irritable bowel syndrome and muscle pain and back pain and asthma. A lot of these things are brought they're, on by emotional stress. Certainly aggravated, for sure. And the reason, the, the thing that that's happened here is it's a reflection of our value system, which is screwed up, because it's more oriented to what materialism. It's about money, power, and fame. Well, our body's it, also a reflector of disease. Absolutely, and and that comes from a psycho spiritual level. So the body becomes something that that reflects what's going on in our in our spiritual disease or emotional disease. Well, the spiritual point of view is that everything happens for a reason. Well, that's right. So when we see that the values are like that, it should bring us to a place where we start to understand that we have to change our value system. We have to have a culture that makes people happy, like the people in Bhutan or the people in Denmark. They are way ahead of us in terms of values. It's not so much about money and stuff. It's about cultural values that lead to giving and sharing and building community. And that's what we're missing. So we've got to go back to those values if we want to avoid things that really make our life miserable and can even lead in heart attacks and death. It appears, you know, that research is finding more reasons for obesity than just eating too much. And we have some pretty novel findings from a current (laughs) study showing that taking antibiotics during the second or third trimester of pregnancy increases the risk of obesity in the child, (laughs) as well as another independent risk factor, having a (laughs) C-section. Now, these separate findings affect the child by age seven. Yeah. Now, that's pretty interesting, and and it makes you kind of wonder how both of those things are related, except for the the microbes, probably. Microbes in the gut. It's called the microbiome. That's right. Uh, These studies at a Columbia University, uh, as you mentioned, uh, are really kind of shocking. And uh, they were published in in the International Journal of Obesity. And what they found was is that the risk of obesity went up 84%. That's huge in kids if their mothers are on antibiotics during the second and third trimesters of their pregnancy. And so what's happening here? It screws up their uh, microbes in their intestines, too. And Yes, in the mother. And then some of the... That's what I mean, and in yes, the child also. And some of the microbes, which are in the bloodstream, by the way. Blood is not sterile, contrary to what a lot of doctors think. It is not sterile. These microbes can come across the placenta and go into the baby's body and begin to colonize different areas, including the gut. And when that gets all screwed up... Wait a minute now. When uh when a baby is... I mean, when the mother takes an antibiotic, it kills a lot of those bacteria. So it changes that, right? So now all of a sudden, we're not getting the same microflora. We're getting different ones, which are the ones that are what? Resistant to the antibiotic. So we've got a, a major shift here in the microflora of the baby, as well as the mother. Well, it's interesting that that would make the baby gain weight. Well, God knows how it works, but the percentage here is, like, stunning. Well, just like the other the other statistic was about having a C-section. And I was thinking, you know, if that's related to the microbes, 
Maybe it's because the baby's born in a sterile atmosphere as opposed to through the birth canal, canal because the birth canal is not sterile. That's for sure. That's right. And that's probably a second mechanism. So what we're learning, okay, in studies like this is that the microflora in the body, the whole body, it includes the bowel, the skin, uh, the, the blood, uh, our whole system is important. And we're in a symbiotic relationship, which is very healthy for us, if we've got the right bugs there. And the thing that's impressive is that this increased the risk of obesity 84%. Yeah, right, I know. That's major. Yeah, and this was a study on over 700 mothers, uh, and they were followed for about seven years. So You know, antibiotics save, can save lives, but they're, they're really overused, and they can cause a lot of health problems. Oh, for sure. Even things like deafness. One of the most common cause of, uh, causes of deafness is what? Antibiotic use. And that's just not just the old streptomycin. It's the penicillins as well. It's the things we use all the time. It may be one of the most common causes of deafness. I wonder if it causes it right away. I don't think so. No, it's something that comes over time. So really? well, it can cause it all the way, and some antibiotics, it's on the spot. I mean, you give some people the toxic uh, mycins, and you can almost count on that's going to be an issue. So what we have here is a warning that antibiotics should only be used when you really need them, and the tendency of most doctors is to say, oh, well, they're not going to hurt you much. I remember back well, when... Well, not only that, patients ask the doctors for them. Oh, they almost demand them. I'm going on a trip. I can't afford to get sick. Give me an antibiotic. Well, okay. I remember back in medical school, hundred years ago, okay, when <laughs> when when we didn't know all these things, we had uh, different kinds of tetracycline. We had acromycin, which is what we use in those days. Right. And a lot of the medical students whose fathers were doctors gave them bottles of acromycin, and they just shared them with everybody so that they wouldn't get sick, or if they got the first sign of a cold, is take that because they thought that was the thing to do. And, of course, it's exactly backwards because what we know we're doing is harming every single time we use an antibiotic. We're harming the microflora in the body, not just in the gut, but primarily well, there. One way you can tell is a lot of people that take an antibiotic get diarrhea. There you go. Or they get what? Vaginal infections, right? You right. get yeast overgrowth. They used or to you advertise may get... those on TV all the time. Oh, they still do. You're just becoming immune to listening to them probably. <laughs> And the same thing with, with uh, yeast infections in the mouth, thrush. I mean, these are infections that are a big deal. Maybe that's why some babies get thrush, because Absolutely. Their, mother, their mothers took an antibiotic. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that's a common thing. So you can expect an antibiotic to cause a problem every time you take it. It may not be clinically apparent. You may feel just fine, but it's not going to be something that uh, is, is a healthy thing to do. So we have to change the way we look at using antibiotics. And like you said, they save lives in some settings, but they, they cause a ton of problems. And what about the allergic reactions, too? We see that as well. Well, we just need to really realize how important the microbiome is to our health. Those are all the microbes that are in our bodies and in our orifices and in our guts. And If we mess that up, we're messing up our health. 
Well, we're at the end of the show, so... If you enjoyed today's radio show and you'd like to have more information on the topics that we talked about in video and free access to more than 2,500 audio and video files, click on the health headlines on drsaputo.com homepage. And remember, a healthy lifestyle is the most powerful healer in the universe. So if you want to be well, pay attention to the style in which you live your life. Amen. Amen. 